Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher. And this week, we have a double parasha. That is to say, we read uh, two parashiot, one right after the other. Uh, this is done at certain times during the year in order to make sure that certain parashiot get read uh, by uh, certain times during the year. Uh, for example, uh, it's important to finish up the book of Vayikra, which is the book that we're in now, before Shavuot. And in order to make that happen, uh, we uh, this week anyway, uh, we will double up Parshiot. And th these are two uh, long and frankly rather difficult Parshiot. Uh, they are Tazria and Mitzorah. Uh, we are continuing the... Uh, the idea of the Kiddushah, the sanctity of uh, Am Yisrael, uh, especially uh, when it involves the Kohanim. There's a great deal in, in these parshiot uh, that will uh, involve the Kohanim to determine uh, Kiddushah, uh, especially in what could be called the opposite of Kiddushah, which is uh, Tum'ah, uh, ritual impurity. Uh, of course, the opposite of Tum'ah is really Tohorah, uh, but in order for Kedusha to, to happen, uh, in order for Kedusha to thrive, it uh, we have to think about the these two opposites, Tum'ah and Tohorah. Uh, so uh, most of the uh, reading for both Tazria and Mitzorah will deal with Tum'ah that relates to uh, the human being. Uh, last in the last parasha, we talked about animals that can be uh, tamay or tahor in terms of whether they're permitted to be consumed. And now we're going to focus on what can make a person uh, tamay or uh, tahor. Uh, in uh, Tazria, uh, the first section of Tazria deals with childbirth. Uh, the Torah says that uh, when a woman gives birth, uh, then uh, her body goes through a period of uh, Tum'ah. Torah says that if she gives birth to a male child, then she has Tum'ah uh, for seven days. We're also reminded uh, that on the eighth day uh, of the uh, birth of a male uh, there's the mitzvah of brit milah, of circumcision, which is something that we learned about before, but it's repeated here. And then after those seven days are over, uh, she, uh, the woman has a period of tohorah uh, for 33 days. What does that mean? Uh, she and her husband may resume marital relations. However, uh, uh, she is not permitted to uh, partake in anything of a uh, of a holy nature, she's not allowed to eat uh, something that is uh, uh, that is holy. Uh, for example, uh, that is kadosh. Uh, she can't go to the Beit Hamikdash, uh, etc., for those thirty three days. But uh, no matter what happens to her body for those thirty three days, uh, she may resume relations with her husband. So in that respect, she's. Tahor. That's talking about the birth of a male. If uh, she gives birth to a female, everything is doubled. Her period of Tum'ah is 14 days. Uh, 
and uh, this is full Tum'ah, not only not going to the Beit HaMikdash, but also no relations with her husband, but a period of Tohora uh, that follows this is a period of 66 days, uh, during which time, similar to what we said with the uh, birth of a male, during those 66 days, no matter what happens to her body, she and her husband may resume marital relations, um, but she remains uh, Tme'ah uh, insofar as holy matters are concerned, eating korbanot, going to the Beit HaMikdash. At the end of the uh, the period, the full period, at the end of the 40 days for a male, or at the end of uh, 80 days for a female, uh, the woman who has given birth brings uh, sacrifices. Um, and uh, she brings a, an ola and a chatat, an ola, a burnt offering, and a chatat, a sin offering. Uh, she probably brings the chatat first, because usually that's the order. And uh, the, uh, the animal that she brings depends on what she can afford. Um, if she can afford it, then the ola is a sheep. Um, and uh, the chatat uh, is a dove or a young pigeon. If she cannot afford the sheep, so she can bring a dove or a young pigeon for the ola, and still the chatat is a dove or a young pigeon. This is uh, this is the uh, sacrifice brought by a woman who has given birth. Then the Torah deals with another area of uh, tum'ah as it affects a, uh, a human body, uh, and that is tsara'at. Uh, tsara'at has been translated as uh, leprosy, but that's really not an accurate translation uh, because the symptoms that are described by the Torah are not the same as the symptoms of uh, leprosy. So we'll just call it tsara'at. It is a, a, a blemish of sorts. It's a plague. Uh, another thing about uh, tsara'at that uh, makes uh, it clear that it's not uh, that it is not leprosy, is that, as the Torah will describe, it can affect not only a human body, but it can also affect clothing or uh, the walls of a house. Uh, and uh, there's no one condition uh, that we talk about uh, that could be called leprosy. So we'll just call it what the Torah calls it. Uh, tzarat, first the Torah talks about tzarat of a human body. Uh, it looks like a white blotch of, of some sort, and it must be examined by the Kohen to determine if it has the signs of tsarat. Only a Kohen uh, has the authority to pronounce uh, someone as having tsarat. There are different shades of white uh, that uh, might uh, be determined as tsarat. If the Kohen says, yes, this person has tsarat, so the Kohen declares that the person is Tameh um, immediately. If, however, it's not clear uh, whether this is Sarat or not, so the person is put into a kind of a quarantine for seven days. If at the end of the seven days and the Kohen examines again, uh, the person is cleared, uh, then the Kohen pronounced that the person is Tahor. Um, if there's been no change, then it requires another seven days quarantine. If there are no further signs, then at the end of the second seven days, then uh, the Kohen pronounces that the person is ta Tahor. But if there are signs, then the 
Kohen uh, pronounces that the person is uh, Tamei. Uh, further, the Torah talks about what happens if healthy skin uh, seems to have developed inside a blotch. That's actually a sign of tzarat. If the entire body is covered with tzarat, kind of paradoxically, uh, that person is tahor. Uh, the tumah of tzarat is only when it affects part of the body, but not the entire body. Uh, it is possible for tzarat to develop in a place where there was a boil and then it healed. It's possible for there to be tzarat in a place that has suffered a burn. Uh, the Torah talks about tzarat on the head or in the beard. Uh, there are some dull white spots. That's just a rash, uh, and that is not tame. That's uh, tahor. Uh, baldness uh, is uh, tahora, uh, natural baldness that develops in a person. Um, and then the Torah talks about the required behavior of a person uh, with tzara'at. Uh, the person has to wear torn clothing. He has to uh, go around with uncut hair. He has to cover his head down to his uh, down to his lip, and wherever he goes, he must proclaim tamay tamay, uh, unclean, uh, impure, so that people uh, know uh, to uh, uh, to avoid him, uh, to avoid contact, uh, and he must leave the camp. He has to leave the entire uh, encampment because uh, contact with tamay uh, can render someone else as being uh, tamay. Then the Torah talks about uh, Tum'at tsara'at, as it affects a, uh, a garment. And the Torah goes on to explain that it is possible for a, uh, for a garment to contract uh, tsara'at. Um, it could be uh, a garment of either wool or linen. It can affect uh, only the warp or only the woof, uh, the, the, the threads that go in one direction or uh, the other, it's also possible that it can affect leather. Uh, the uh, the marking on the garment looks bright red or green. It must be examined by a Kohen. Um, uh, it is put in seven days quarantine. If at the end of seven days quarantine uh, it has spread, then the Kohen proclaims that the, the garment is Tameh, and then the garment must be burned. If, however, there is no spread, then the garment is to be uh scrubbed, cleaned, and then there is a second seven-day quarantine. If there's no change, then um, that's Tamei. Uh, uh, if, however, it has uh, faded, uh, then the uh, per the portion uh, is, is removed. Uh, and uh, But if it reappears, the whole garment must be burned. And then there is a, a second immersion uh, to make the garment uh, tahor. Uh, this is uh, tazria. Uh, I mentioned that there is tzarat of a uh, a house, but that won't be mentioned just yet. Instead, as we move into the parasha called mitzorah, the first section of mitzorah talks about the process of the purification of a mitzorah, meaning a person who has been afflicted with tzarat. There's a process of uh, purification after the Kohen has uh, declared that the person no longer has sarat. So first, uh, the Kohen must examine the person. And if the Kohen determines that the person uh, no longer has sarat, so the process of purification 
involves two birds, a piece of cedar wood, crimson wool, and a, uh, a an herb uh, called azov. English is called hyssop. Uh, the uh, one bird is slaughtered uh, over spring water that's been gathered in a clay bowl. And the live bird is uh, bound and dipped uh, into the mixture of the water and the blood from the other bird. Um, the mitzora is sprinkled seven time, times. And then the, sent, the live bird is sent away uh, to the field, set free. Uh, <clears throat> the first phase of the mitzora's purification is that the garment, uh, his garments have to be immersed, is to shave his body, and then he too uh, is immersed, and he must remain outside the camp for seven days. Then the second phase of his purification is that he brings uh, sacrifices. He brings an asham, a uh, guilt offering in the form of a male sheep. He brings a chatat, a sin offering in the form of a female sheep. He brings an ola, a burnt offering, male sheep. He also brings a flour that's been mixed with uh, oil as well as oil, and then uh, it's placed on his earlobe, his thumb, and his big toe. If, however, the mitzorah is poor and cannot afford these more expensive sacrifices, so he still brings a, a, an asha male sheep and only uh, flour that's been mixed with oil as well as oil, and instead two doves or young pigeons, one as a chatat, burnt uh, sin offering and the other as an ola. And once again, uh, oil is uh, on his earlobe, thumb, and big toe. It is after this that the Torah talks about the possibility of tzorat affecting uh, houses. There's a debate uh, in the uh, Gemara as to whether this ever actually happened or it's only theoretical. Uh, but but uh, the Torah does uh, does discuss it. Um, so when it discusses the um, the owner, the uh, the houses, first of all, it can only take place in the land of Israel, and the owner sees some something that looks like it might be tzarat, and that's what he says to the kohen. There seems to be tzarat in the house. He he doesn't have the authority to proclaim that it is, even if the owner of the house is an expert. He doesn't have that authority. Only a Kohen can do this. So before the Kohen examines, he gives the order uh, to clear the house of all utensils, because if he declares that the house is Tameh, then all utensils inside the house uh, will become Tameh. So we're trying to uh, avoid uh, um, as much of that as possible. And then the Kohen examines uh, what he sees. He looks for signs of Tzara'at. Um, if it looks like there may be signs of Tzara'at, he will... Uh, order that the house is closed up, kind of quarantine of the house for seven days. Um, if uh, the signs have spread, then the affected part of the house, uh, the, the paint, the plaster, the stones uh, are removed uh, and replaced. If, however, it returns, then it is necessary to uh, declare that it's Tameh, and then the whole house has to be broken down. If it hasn't spread, then there's a process of purification, which involves, again, two birds, cedar wood and uh, crimson wool. Uh, one bird is slaughtered over spring water that's been gathered in a clay bowl. The live bird is bound and dipped in water and blood, and uh, the 
house is sprinkled seven times, and then once again, uh, the live bird is sent away to uh, to the field. Very similar to the process of purification of a person who has had sarat and no longer does. The next uh, type of uh, uh, affliction that uh, leads to tum'ah, uh, and this uh, relates once again back to the human body, is called a zav or a zava um, or a nida. A zav is a man who has had a running issue uh, for three times. Uh, and uh, if that happens, then he is tameh and his tum'ah is, uh, is conveyed uh, either by touching uh, someone or something uh, like a utensil or food um, or even sitting on something the uh, the thing that is sat upon the uh, let's say a chair for example becomes tame or any uh, uh, fluids that come out of the out of the t- zav such as spitting uh, renders uh, someone else tame and he could also make uh, vessels uh, tame if they're made out of clay they must be broken other mutations uh, utensils made out of other materials are immersed in a mikvah, um, are, are immersed and they become tahor. Um, at the end of the period of the zav uh, tumah, there's a process of purification, requires seven days of counting, uh, then immersion of the clothing in the body, and on the eighth day, the zav brings uh, two birds, one as a chatat and one as an olah, uh, if, however, he's only had one issue, not three issues, but just one issue, then he's tame for one day. Then the Torah talks about a uh, type of uh, bodily tumah that can only affect a woman, and that is nida, uh, a woman with her regular menstrual discharge. And uh, the Torah says that there is seven days of tumah, uh, and that means tumah in all respects, uh, including the fact that she and her husband may not have uh, marital relations. The Torah also talks about a woman who is a zava. That is a woman who has an unusual uh, sighting of blood uh, over a period of three days. Uh, then uh, her tumah lasts for as many days as her sighting. On the uh, then she has to follow that with seven clean days. And on the eighth day, she brings two birds. Uh, one is a chatat and one is an ola. Uh, by the way, some of these uh, rules, especially as they affect uh, uh, marital relations, uh, are practiced in a way uh, nowadays that is even stricter than what the Torah uh, requires. Uh, stricter and in, in this way, uh, many of these details are, of course, important to learn, uh, but they don't uh, they don't affect a marital couple. Um, exactly the same way. It's affected even more uh, more strictly. Uh, let's go back to the very, very beginning of Tazriya Mitzorah, where the Torah talks about the Tum'ah of a woman who has given birth. The Torah starts off by saying, Daber el-Bene Yisrael le'mor, uh, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a woman has uh, conceived and she gives birth, zahar, if it's a male, then she is uh, tameah for seven days, similar to the period of her uh, of her nida. And uh, what I'd like to do is uh, look a little bit at this concept of a woman who has given birth uh, being uh, tameah. 
And uh, what I'd like to do is read from the uh, comments on this subject of Rav Shimshon Ophal Hirsch. Uh, Rav Hirsch wrote this in uh, German originally, and uh, here is the uh, translation uh, into English. He writes, The highest and noblest occupation on which the whole future of the human race is built, where womanhood finds its purpose and goal, the whole process in the body of a mother for the production of a new human being is of pure physical nature. Okay, so uh, Rav Hirsch is pointing out uh, that childbirth, which is uh, something that only a woman can, uh, can do, uh, and that ensures uh, the next generation, the continuation uh, of, uh, of humanity and, uh, and of the Jewish people, that process is very fundamentally physical. Rav Hirsch continues, man originates, grows, and exists like a plant. Human beings develop. Since childbirth is such a natural process, we can lose sight of the fact that once he is born, man is a morally free agent. So Rav Hirsch is pointing out that the physicality of uh, childbirth uh, can... Uh, cause us to lose sight of the fact that uh, human beings are, are moral. Uh, they have to make decisions on their own. They have free will. Uh, they have the capacity for spirituality. So we can forget that. Reverse continues, the mother herself, after having to submit completely, passively, and painfully to the forces of nature, at the most sublime procedure of her earthly calling, has to re-establish the consciousness of her own spiritual height. So Hirsch uh, insists that uh, at the end or aftermath of this very uh, physical uh, process, uh, bringing uh, another life into the world, um, it is necessary for the woman uh, to reconnect with her spiritual uh, side. And Rav Hirsch concludes this, this quote, her calling of woman and mother is now restarting with all its momentous and awful painful moments. So Rav Hirsch seems to understand that the fact that a woman who has given birth uh, is uh, is because she is restarting a process. She is almost emerging uh, from this very physical process in order to eventually uh, reconnect with her uh, spiritual side. It's a, it's a very uh, inspiring way of looking at this very natural and beautiful process uh, that, of course, uh, makes it possible for her humanity and for the Jewish people to continue, uh, but uh, also uh, during the process, a woman uh, is very, very much um, subject to, uh, to physical forces, natural forces that uh, are ver almost beyond her control, and now she is regaining that control through going through the process of Tuma and Tohara purification uh, so that she can uh, connect once again with her spiritual potential. I thank you very much for uh, joining me uh, in this uh, exploration of Parashat 
Tazria and Parashat Mitzora uh, that we will read one right after the other this uh, Shabbat. This has been Rabbi Avraham Fisher for Parasha Highlights and Insights saying Shalom. <laughs>